Yeah, we've 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 done it. I've uh, yeah. I've opted for the uh, sunny beach background because uh, yeah, nice. I like it. Otherwise, it's a white blank wall, which isn't as entertaining to look at. Yeah, I uh, I went for the New York City subway map behind me because I used to live in New York before. So oh, uh, did you? Nice. Yeah. Welcome. You. Thank you for doing cool. this. I appreciate it. No problem. No problem a lot. Um, so I'll just jump right into it. So I don't know if okay, Ryan don't... can hear. It says he's connecting to audio. He's connected to audio. I think yeah. once that disappears, that means he's uh, he's in for good. Yeah, he probably doesn't realize he has sex up there. Anyway, we'll let him figure that out. Charlie. Yeah, sure. Thank you for doing this. Um, no problem. So I came across your YouTube video, the TED Talks, and, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. and that's how I got interested. And so I was really inspired by a couple of things in that video. And that's the reason why I wanted to talk to you. Um, oh. One of it is you're really good at giving that speech. Um, it was very well done. Uh, Thank you. A lot of humor in there. Um, I appreciated it. It was inspiring because, too, I always wanted to – um getting to movies and i i was never interested in being in that director i was more interested in the talent aspect of it maybe writing and acting that never panned out but after i watched a youtube video i was really inspired to just pick your brains a little bit and so okay um that's why i decided to connect and decided to ask you to do this but the first thing i wanted to ask if we could just jump in is what was the breaking point when you decided to like not do what were you doing before if i'm not if i guess uh i wanted to do games design before that but that was that was like before i even went to college so um i a lot of that story in my ted talk is more sort of how i, I i'm i'm pretty persistent when i decide i want to do something i want to do it so um throughout my sort of childhood and teenage life. Uh, I kept changing my mind, but I kind of put my head to it each time. So I, I wanted to get into games design, um, wanted mm-hmm. to create video games, um, which to be honest would be totally cool, but I'm not into the programming side of things. Um, I basically took a course in programming and that was what broke it for me. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I realized that programming itself was just a bit too I don't know it, it wasn't what I was looking for I'm more sort of creative um creatively minded so I prefer to like I think the things that they had in common was every time I visualized a video game in my head um I was visualizing like the cinematics and the story of it yeah um and I was like oh yeah and this would be the story behind it and then I'd do a little bit of thought into the gameplay aspect and then I'd be like yeah but then there's a cinematic that does all this and then later on I just kind of asked myself the question I was like wait a second you sure it's not film you prefer (laughs) because yeah every time you every every time you visualize these these games it's always the the sort of cinematic aspect of it it's the storytelling aspect so um it took a bit of a right am I wrong uh, about my original choice here and shall I change my decision? And if I do, I need to kind of, I, I, I think I had a sort of crossroads when I was about 17 uh, where I just went, right, am I going to go into film instead? Um, and then I sort of 
pondered about it for a few days and then I just decided, yeah, I'm definitely going to go for film instead. Uh, and I just kind of altered all the plans that I kind of set out in my own head to a different re- track, as right. it were. Because yeah. um, I had a lot of plans, like I was going to go to this university and I was going to do this, like I was going to learn C++ and I had a bunch of like stenciled out games already and things like that. And um, I think it just took a bit of humility one day to go, are you pants at programming? <laughs> and, do you, and do you hate it? Um, yeah. And I just thought, you know what? I do hate it. Uh, I love games and I love, I love playing them. Um, yeah. But the process of making them isn't actually something I enjoy. And I've misinterpreted this. I like the process of storytelling. So um, I kind of made made a, a change. Luckily for me, I made it at a point in my life where I had nothing holding me back and nothing to get in the way of me changing career path because yeah. I hadn't started a career yet. So it wasn't exactly, um, it wasn't exactly difficult. Um, I whereas I, I, I've, I've met plenty of people who make a career change at like, you know, 40 or something like that. And they're already halfway down one career ladder and then they hop into another one. And that's, that's tricky. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I have chatted with a lot of people who've been in those situations and I think, and I, I have friends now who are in that situation who don't quite know what they're doing in their life still. And, um, I'm, I'm just under 30 now. So it's sort of a, a strange time in your life. I think where a lot of people are, are kind of expecting their life to be a bit further than it was supposed to be by this point. Right. Um, I think I'm one of those people. Um, yeah. I, so I'm 35 now and then, I committed really hard to graphic design, but one of the things that, one of the issues I'm having is that graphic design doesn't pay very well, not if you want to fund a family. Fortunately, I don't have a family yet um, in some regards because it gives me, like you said, flexibility to uh, make a career change. What I realize I want to do career-wise or corporate career-wise is user interface design, which has a lot to do with coding but I sure. avoided coding all my life in college yeah. for the reason, like you said, like I absolutely hate it. Um, but one of the good things is I knew I wanted to do media. And so that was one of the reasons I started this podcast um, is yeah, because okay. I said, you know, like, like you did just take that leap of faith and, and see if you can figure it out as you go. Yeah. Um, so I definitely understand what you're saying. You play a lot of video games and do you ever play shadow of the Colossus? I've not yet, no. Uh, okay. I do play a lot of video games, but I haven't played Shadow Colossus yet. So uh, well the cinematics that. in that game is yeah. the best cinematics I've ever seen in a video game. So you yeah. might want to check that out. Um, I have, so, I've seen plenty of YouTube videos about it, yeah. Yeah. So were you... I'm sorry, I've never been to that side of the world. Were you? Where were you born? Um, I was born in a place called Brighton, which is the south okay. of England. Um, okay. I live in Scotland right now, in Edinburgh. Okay. Um, so, um, my childhood was was very much like moving about my whole life because my dad was uh, in the RAF, the Royal Air Force, um, okay. so, like the USAF equivalent. In fact, he did a year in the USAF, so we actually moved to California for a year. Oh, so you lived um, in Cali for a while? Yeah, yeah. I left there for um, literally. I was, I was a kid at the time, so. Um, it was when I was about seven, um, just for a year. 
Because gotcha. sometimes the USAF and the RAF trade pilots, if they because he's a test pilot, they um they sometimes use guys from the other military to kind of help out with certain courses or certain like jet fighters or something they're testing out. Um, gotcha. So he was posted there for that reason. Uh, that so, was yeah. another childhood dream I had was an Air Force pilot, Ryan, who's actually on the other yeah, line. Ryan. Yeah, he was a he is a pilot, not for the military, but oh know. really. Yeah, so he's training that field. I don't know if he could. Where does he work? If he can talk. Right now, he's not in the, you know, our whole airline industry took a hit in this past situation. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, so he's not with, he used to fly luxury um, charter. So that's his thing. Um, So how's it been since you, like how long ago was that TED Talk? Uh, I think it's a while ago now. Yeah, 2015. 2015, five years ago now. Jeez. Um, so how's yeah. it been since you actually made the decision to cross over, I guess? Um, yeah, it's been good. I think the important thing is, 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 um, is once you've decided what it is you want to do, um, you've just got to go 100% with it. Yeah. Um, be smart about it, obviously, because uh, I'm, I'm not talking from a point of experience where I, you know, I don't I don't have kids. Um, I don't have family. Uh, there's yeah, people in situations who, who, who've got those kind of things in their life and they've got to be a bit more um, aware of who they're affecting when they when they change circumstances like that. But saying that, I know I know quite a few people who have. Um, sort of switched. In fact, I, I was doing a lot, a, a lot of interviewing recently um, for a company called CoClan here, which is local. Um, and okay. they, they're, they're like a, pro, uh, they're a programming course for people who want to switch from a completely unrelated career. Um, mm. And it's like a gateway program for people who want to get into programming, but a, a bit too shy to change career path because they're already, you know, head chef in a kitchen somewhere or, you know, the mechanic in a garage or something like that. Yeah. Um, this course specializes in those kind of people and helps them understand how, even though you're in a completely different career path, there's still transferable skills from one career path that translate to the other. Um, so we did a lot of interviewing of people who have now made it as a result of that course, which was really interesting because they, they, they came from all manners of backgrounds. Most of them are parents. Um, most of them were in their sort of early forties. Um, so they're all at that sort of stage in life where, uh, a lot of people will think their ship has sailed, but mm. one of them was working in, I don't know what she was working in. It was, it was just as, it was like catering or something like that. It was as far away from IT as it could be. And yeah. then she went in, now she's like assistant lead programmer for an app company or something. And she, she did. Is she in the videos? Any one of your videos? Like no, on your no. website? Okay. Uh, no, no, no. Um, this was like an interview I did uh, last year, actually. Um, and they used it as like promotion for their, for their website. So I do like promotional videos as the sort of bread and butter work. Um, okay. So that's the kind of stuff I shoot it, but I don't exactly show it off because it's not really the creative side of me coming out. I'm just sort of do you know nodding my head and filming for people um yeah so uh yeah a lot of people in, in my position do the same sort of stuff yeah i have a friend who does that over here his name is um 
uh, he, his business is deployed is the name of it. Um, right. His name is Jonathan Rojas, but that's what he does. He does a lot of promo videos, um, freelance, and his main industry is like uh, hotels. So he'll got a, do a lot of promotional videos for hotels and like all-inclusive resorts, um, yeah. their websites. But yeah, I wanted exactly to ask, kind of yeah, I want to ask you, who is the woman in the Ross Bagels video? She was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, she's called Lara Bross. Um, okay. She is an ex-comedian. Uh, she's someone who changed her career. She was a comedian and turned into a bagel Shop queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, um, she's from Canada and um, from Montreal. And apparently, well, actually, you'll know yourself. In New York, bagels are quite big over there, right? Yeah. Um, and it's the same in Montreal. Uh, over here, bagel shops and things just don't exist. Um, they're not really? a thing. Huh. Yeah, so she was sort of the first person to do it here. And she put a lot of effort into the style in which she, she did it all. Um, so she made the Montreal style, but she's, she just puts like, they're like really hipster. So like, really, like the kind of stuff you can get in them is like the kind of stuff you get in a gourmet burger. Um, uh, so it's not just, not just cream cheese and pickle, you know, it's, uh, you had salmon and all that. Yeah. Stuff it's, that, it's, yeah. There's all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm veggie. So like the stuff I get is, 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 um, yeah, there's like, she, she has this one that's called not the versed and it's like based on the bratwurst sausages that, uh, they have on Oktoberfest, but in a bagel, like it's like German you. sausage, but it's like, she's made it vegan as well. And it's like, yeah, it's crazy. But um, yeah, sauerkraut and all that. Yeah. She just saw a hole in the market, I guess. Um, that's smart she, though. She, it's smart to go in, not, not in a, in an area where the industry is not there, but the potential. Is yeah. There, so yeah, she, she wasn't in catering at all. She was in comedy. Um, and then she just said she got sick of the sort of stand up comedy thing. She wasn't enjoying it too much. Mm. So, she started doing this and then she obviously brought a comedic side to the business and it's really worked for her because now people recognize her in the street, uh, from her right. videos here. So like, um, we have the, the fringe festival. I don't know if you've ever heard of that the Edinburgh festival. No. So it's actually the largest arts festival in the world. And it's just like where comedians and like, uh, stage performers and all that kind of stuff from all around the world come to Edinburgh. Um, mm-hmm. And it's where, it's where a lot of comedians make a name for themselves, actually, because it's such a huge festival. Um, a lot of uh, talent seekers go to these things, and it's it's kind of like, it's where everyone gets together and watches comedy for like a month. Um, stand-up uh, I comedy do, of all yeah. Kinds. I did, um, do you know who, who uh, Hannibal Burris is? No, no, it doesn't really. Amo Boris is an American comedian, black American comedian, but he did a Netflix special on... Oh, okay. Um, he, I think one of his Netflix special, he was at Edinburgh, now that you mentioned. Uh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So people on the comedy circuit generally know what it is because it is, it's, it's strange because it really brings everything down to one level, if, if that makes sense. It's like people who are super famous and people who have no name for themselves at all could be drinking side by side in the same. Yeah. It's kind of like is it, cons for cons for comedians, I guess. Is it cons? Yeah, What's the other uh, one where it's in um, Aspen or one of those cold places where everyone gets together and debut movies for the year in short films. What is that festival like called? Can film? film yeah. Festival. Is that? Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm thinking in of. In France. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have you yeah. been to Cannes? 
No, not yet. Um, it, it was on my sort of to-do list to do either this year or next year, but obviously this year's been a bit mental, so um, no film festivals are happening this year. Um, yeah. Well, at least there's there's one that's happening online, but uh, no one's sticking to travel to. But yeah, it looks really cool. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those film festivals that's like, they know what they are, so they just... Like it's incredibly expensive to go, and unless you're you've got a film in the festival, you might struggle to actually do anything productive whilst you're there. I got you. I think Fade In would do very well at Con. Um, that was probably one of your more serious ones, but it was also my favorite because I understand. Oh, you like a, it, yeah, yeah. From a creative standpoint, it's hard to like unless you get people to sit down and shut up and listen to you to get your point across and focus on what your vision that's always the artist i mean i'm a graphic designer so it's always hard for me to communicate what the end product would be sure you know to the person who's actually coming yeah you, yeah it's, it's i think it's harder with like yeah with that kind of design you just have to show them right <laughs> just right this is it yeah you can't really explain it yeah so do you write did you write fade in on your own yeah yeah okay um yeah, the um, the point of that actually was just we wanted to just show what we could do. We just wanted to break into the commercial world a bit because, um, like, the promo video world and the commercial world are very different things. Um, luckily, I've sort of broken into the commercial world now. Um, but That's good. We needed to do something like that where we just got everyone to help us out and just go, right, let's just make a little film together because there is actually, like, you see a bottle of Gordon's gin in it. That's, like... It's kind of like a commercial in disguise, but we didn't get hired to make a commercial. So we just, we made one anyway, put a product in it to go, look, if you were to hire us, this is, this is what it looked like. Ah, that's pretty genius because at the end of it, I didn't particularly understand what the gym had to do with it. But now that you say that, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I wanted to make it safe enough that I could remove that bottle and it wouldn't affect the story just in case we wanted to use the film by itself. Um, yeah, but yeah, it did it did us some favors and uh, it it got a lot of interest. Um, and it like it is one of those things. If we had a, a slogan and just threw that on the end of that commercial and put Gordon's gin, then all of a sudden people would be like, "Oh, it's a commercial," you know? Because yeah. um, a lot of uh, a lot of commercials um, for like whiskeys and stuff around here. Because a lot of whiskey in Scotland, so a lot of them have commercials made. I like that where they're really arty and. They have a sort of narrative that's not really too much about whiskey. It's not like get whiskey or anything like that. It's like, you know, here's two guys going for a walk in the Scottish Highlands and they happen to drink a glass of whiskey during the the film. And then at the end of it, it just comes up with the brand name. So it's like a really subtle way of advertising. Yeah, I remember there was an old black and white, Johnny Walker black and white commercial when I was growing up. And it was was like 30 seconds of this woman in a bikini, black and white bikini. I'll have to send it to you. Oh, uh, yeah. And yeah. it was very seductive, very... And for the 30 seconds you're watching it, you don't know what it is, but you don't care. And at the yeah. end of it, then they show the bottle. I'm like, oh, all right, I get it. It's like, bang, this is an advert, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you said earlier, you said we. So I'm assuming you work with the same group of people because I noticed the same actors in a lot of the videos. Is it a team of how many people are you're working with to get a product out? So I have, I have like, um, I have like a, a squad almost. So we're not really under any sort of contract to each other or anything like that. 
Mm. Um, but every time we, we do a shoot, it will be the same faces pretty much every time. Um, cause they've, uh, so I've got like a camera operator, um, well, director of photography, but just say camera operator cause it's, it's easier for folks who don't know what director of photography is. Yeah, um, but- the guy, yeah, so director of photography is the guy who's in, in charge of the visuals. Um, the director is as well, but the director of photography is in charge of visuals on a more technical level as well. So if you're on a massive set or you're on a film or something like that, um, you know, take, take a Quentin Tarantino film. He'll have a director of photography there who deals with the camera team and tells them what to do. And he will have a lot of discussions with Tarantino on how they're going to set up a shot. So maybe Tarantino just knows what he wants to see. Like he'd be like, oh, I want to see this action happen in this kind of shot. Then director of photography will go, well, we should shoot that on this lens, on this camera. We're going to put these guys here and do it on a dolly and things like that. Um, there's a, the, the, the relationship between the director and director of photography is quite fluid. And often you'll find directors use the same guy every time because they, they get to a sort of um, companionship level where they just yeah. know what each other want. Um, so I, yeah, I have a director of photography I work with most of the time, um, when we're both available to work together. Um, I have a co-writer, co-director that I work with a lot, a guy called Jack Fox, and he does a lot of, uh, the visual effects in our, our videos as well. Okay. So his back, his background is not too dissimilar from mine. Um, sort of going to college and university and, um, uh, but he specialized a lot in visual effects as he was grown up and now he's like a master at it and that's how I met him. I saw his film in a film festival and I went, you do VFX. He's like, yeah. And I was like, I want to make a series about video games. Do you want to work together? And since then we found out we have quite a similar sense of humor and things like that. So we do a lot of co-writing and co-directing together. Um, he's, yeah. he'll, he, he'll do a lot of acting as well. So he's in quite a lot of the sketches we've made. Um, is he the guy with yeah. the long hair? Yes. Yeah. He had long hair at one point and now he has short hair. Okay. Um, so yeah, me and him work together quite a lot. Um, when it's something that both of us like, and then we'll also make our own projects when, you know, we have certain things that he, you like, and I'm not, into, he's into horror, for example, I'm not too into horror. So if he's making a horror, he goes and makes a horror. Uh, yeah. and then vice versa, um, with, with stuff that I specialize in. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, yeah. And then there's like sound recorders that we use all the time as well. And yeah. So when I say we, I kind of mean the, the squad, the, the first, the first people I'd contact if I had a new script greenlit by, um, the BBC or whatever. Okay. Wait, so you actually, you've done work for the BBC? Yeah. So the comedy sketches we do are for their online platform called BBC, the social, uh, I see. um, so it's like, it's a weird one because it's like, it's not BBC, it's going on TV, it's all online. Um, although I am talking with them about a pilot for one that will be for TV, but uh, that's, that's, I can't say anything else about that at the moment, but that's, yeah. that's one of my, that's one of my goals at the moment. My personal goals is to get a pilot on TV um, or a show on TV rather. Um, but uh, yeah, so we make sketches. It's pretty like you have a lot of creative control in these sketches because they just want you to be you and, and provide what you can within right. their parameters. They have a target audience and everything, obviously. Um, so we write sketch sketches tailored to their audience and then 
they'll give us notes sometimes because they'll be like, oh, this, because they, they, they have a bit of a brand themselves. So sometimes they'll, they'll want to change a few things in, in the sketches we write and go like, we'd prefer it if it was like this. And then we, we either say yes or no, or you know, whatever. I um, it's still a good yeah. platform though, because I mean, obviously the name and recognition, but I noticed, yeah. I think it was, uh, I'm guessing here, but it was either Peaky Blinders, Borderline or Man Like Mobine. I think it was Peaky Blinders that started, I want to say BBC3 and then got bumped up, BBC2. Yeah, so I don't might, know what the yeah. networks are over there, but it's still a good platform to, to start yeah. on the inside. Yeah, so, the BBC is an interesting one because it's, it's the main broadcast channel in Britain. So it's got... It's got history, you know. It's like one of the, the sort of first TV broadcast stations to to exist, I think. Um, and yeah, so it's got like its own sort of reputation, but it's also got its own um, style to it. I think like there's certain things, and it's a bit of a frustration for like myself and uh, Jack, who I work with a lot, where there's something that we think would be amazing, but it just doesn't suit them um mm. like they don't really go like there's things on netflix now that i wouldn't see on bbc ever um i think things like if you watch something like narcos yeah i don't think bbc would ever ever touch that like if if the same guy came and pitched them with the same idea and they had all the same money in the same place i don't think they'd touch it because it's just not their style right um so think things like that, and I think, um, uh, funnily enough, I've been told at a film festival someone thinks um, some of the stuff I make is better for an American audience than it is for a British audience because we've got different like um, sense of humor, taste. Some yeah, things it, land differently. Yeah, I think uh, we like slick, fast, like crazy stuff, and um, yeah, there's a lot like British TV and film is weird because there is a lot of bleak and sort of depressing stuff <laughs> that they yeah. like to put out here. There's, there's a sort of misery culture here where they, they sort of like to revel in their own sadness. And Well, they, yeah, it's funny you should say that because I, um, have you ever watched the, what's the guy, the thinking guy meme? Um, he had a Oh, BBC. the guy that does that. Yeah, he ended up on BBC yeah. Three. The oh my god, I forgot what his name was. Um, and it started off as mockumentary, but he right, was, okay. they were making fun of the rappers trying to make it. Um, oh, okay, right, okay. Not Big Shaq, the other one. Uh, god, I wish. Now it's gonna. I don't think I've seen him. Um, roll safe. Little safe. No, roll safe. The, roll safe uh, yeah okay. have you seen roll safe i've not i've not seen that one no no uh, this guy let me see if i could show that's you. that's that's the thing i don't actually watch <laughs> pbc yeah. that much i watch netflix yeah yeah i know the guy right i so use I that think, meme a lot yeah so he um so that meme he was uh he created his own youtube channel and i think youtube uh, um, okay. and then bbc3 picked him up and they did a season when based off of the youtube channel Right. So, you know, I definitely, see, but it, the point I was trying to make was that. It's, it's fascinating it was, how you can be known in a meme and, not, and like, I can still not know who he is. Like, right. 
It's, yeah, it's, it's like thing. the um the the Blinken guy I mean, the one who's like acts like he's surprised. Yeah. I just yeah. found out that he um he used to do a group video game broadcast channel with his friends. Right. And somebody said something really outlandish and then he reacted with that. And then years later it's an Bang, meme. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's that's intellectual property theft at its finest means. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't. It's 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 just part of the culture now. Yeah. Um, but my my friend um, is a photographer here, and he one of his photos got became a meme. Um, I don't know how big it went internationally, but it definitely went big here. And it's um, it's a girl in a club, and someone's like chatting down her ear, and she looks like this. And oh, is that away. from? Is you that your that friends? One? Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. used it so, before. Yes, have you? Yeah. <laughs> so obviously that's exploded, and he took. He just. He, he's a club photographer, so he took that photo in a club just randomly one night. Yeah. Put no thought into it. Put it online, and then obviously someone put a joke up on Twitter, and then boom, and exploded. And he was getting contacted by everybody. Like he's trying really? to get. He's getting like Vice magazine. We're trying to buy the rights for, off the for the photo off him and stuff like that. Like did he know? sell it? Did he make a deal with them? I think he ended up selling it. I can't remember if it was to Vice or not. Um, but he, yeah, he updated me every now and then, saying, "Yeah, so and so is offering me so much money to to do this with it." And I was like, "Man, it's just." It was such a, it's just a random photo. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it goes could have easily, the, easily been ignored, but. Right. It goes back to the whole thing of like, you just never know, right? You got to just shoot yeah. your shot and then hopefully something sticks. That's amazing. That's yeah. Just start recording yourself and put it out as a meme every day. <laughs> like one <laughs> yeah. day I'll be meme famous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to, oh, so going back to, you know, the, your career did you go to school for for film yeah yeah um so we um i don't know i I need to remember how it translates but i went to college and university in america isn't it just college or do you have university as well we do have you i don't so i grew up in trinidad in the caribbean and we have we're under the British education system. So, oh, okay. we go, so I grew up in primary school, secondary school, form one, two, three, four. Oh, and then okay. if you were going to college, you went to what we call, um, I think it's tertiary if I'm not mistaken, where it's after high school, but before university, where it's like a okay. two-year extension yeah. on top of your five years. Okay. And so in Trinidad, we go directly from high secondary school to applying to university if your secondary school is a seven-year secondary school versus a five-year it's considered college in america i think secondary school equivalents to high school yeah and then you go to college if it's a two to four-year degree or and then after that it's a university or see if they offer a full master's program from the beginning, it's university. I, see, so I okay. think it depends on the amount of time that you're right at college or. So for us, it's as it's just a yeah, it's based on the degree you're getting out of it. So in college, college is after secondary school, um, and it's like you can't get a proper degree, you can't get a bachelor of arts or anything. That's university. So that's okay. where you get your your bachelor's degrees and your master's degrees are all in university and in college is like 
um, associate's level. It called? Yeah, it's like this like mid-level qualification that's kind of okay, but it doesn't bulletproof you. It's it's more of a gateway qualification that really is more for the purpose of getting you into university or getting you a sort of mid-level job. Um, right. I think if you if you want to go into a professional career, you have to get a bachelor's degree. So that's the purpose of university, and you can skip college and go straight to university. Um, but you need to by the end of school, you need to have the right qualifications to get into university. Yeah. Um, so for me, I didn't. I uh, I was really bad at English. I still am. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had to take like a night class, but college also had a course called TV production. So okay. that was never part of my plan to be in college or do any, I, I wanted to do school and go to university, but um because I didn't make the qualification to get into university, I had to do a year at college. But it turned out to be an amazing year because the, the course at the college was actually incredible. I thought it was, um, it was a really beneficial year of my life, and I'm, I'm actually quite glad it went that way. Because um, okay. the college course turned out to be a bit faster paced than the university course. I actually think I learned more from college than I did university within a condensed amount of time. Um, Cause it's like on the first day in college, they gave us these TV broadcast cameras, like the first day mm. we were using them. And I was like, this is amazing. In university, it took us three years to use those same cameras. And I was like, man, this is <laughs> it's so slow paced in comparison to yeah. what I did. So I was, I was really glad that I, I had got rejected and ended up in college because I wouldn't have had that experience. And I've, right. I feel like that kind of let me hit the ground running when I got to university. Gotcha. Yeah, I had the same experience here. I did poorly. I was a terrible student. Um, and then I went into what we call community college, which is a two-year college. And then it's right. supposed to lead you into getting your bachelor's and so on yeah, and yeah. so forth. But I I can't go any further. I got my bachelor's and then that was it. Um, I don't know. I, I feel well, like... Was, it, was the community college in... Was Were you still in Trinidad at the time or did you move no, to States by that point? The, yeah, I moved to New York when I was 16. So it was nice. Queensborough Community College in Queens. And then I went to New York City College of Technology in Brooklyn. So I did my two-year degree in Queensborough and then uh, right, finished okay. the next two years in City Tech in Brooklyn. Um, but I struggled through that. It took me quite a lot of years because I was in and out of school and then working and stuff like that. But got you. Yeah, New York's I, a crazy place. It is crazy. You so that speaking of New York, you did a video of what was the homeless one called? Um, where they were the, the world's big sleep out. Yeah. Did you go to New York and sleep out there? I didn't sleep out, but I was like awake out. <laughs> that yeah, makes sense, yeah. I was I was filming the people sleeping. Um, so we. It, it feels kind of false, but we did go back to Airbnbs that night because um, they wanted all the deliverables first thing in the morning and I needed to go there to edit. So, um, Was that a commission did, job? I, did someone commission you to do that? Or you yes. Voluntarily? Yes. Um, it was kind of, it was, a, it was a, a sort of partnership where I offered to help the guy who runs the charity. The guy who runs the whole thing is from Edinburgh and he runs a homeless charity here which is, um, it's called Social Bite. And it's, um, he basically opened a cafe um, and it's a cafe that you can, uh, where they donate some of their profits towards the homeless, but they also employ the homeless as a sort of gateway job. Okay. Um, and they've, they've created this pay it forward scheme where 
when you buy your lunch there, you can give them a bit of cash, which will go towards someone who's homeless is uh, lunch. Okay. And that cafe will supply a homeless person with lunch once you've given them, uh, once you've paid it forward. But they're doing so well now. They've opened up loads of different places and the government started funneling money into them uh, that every lunchtime, at least in Scottish cities, because that's where they are at the moment, uh, if, if you go to a certain street in Edinburgh, you'll see a queue of homeless people because they all get fed by that same place. Um, so it's worked really well. Um, and they've just... Um, They've just managed to, like, with, with some of the proceeds they got from the World's Big Sleep Out, um, and they, they did other events uh, years, uh, the, the two or three years before that, every winter they did the same thing, but only in Scotland. Mm. It, was, uh, it was last year that it exploded into this big thing. Um, but yeah, with some of, the, some of the money that they've made from that, they've, uh, they've managed to take half of Scot- Scotland's homeless off the streets. Um, really? Yeah, that so... One- uh, uh, one event. I mean, um, that's just from the this the money raised in Scotland because the way he's done it is he's he's got partners out in every city that took part. So New York would be looking after their own, basically. Um, I think LA was involved, so LA is looking after their own. But like, they all got together. All these like partner charities sort of got part of this, uh, became part of this big thing. So it was like. I wrote, I wrote the script enough times, 50 cities worldwide, I think, um, yeah. of people taking part. It was, it was crazy, really crazy. Yeah, it was. Was it a one night only or was it a weekend or is it one, one night? night. So it was on the 7th of December and they had 50 cities taking part. And obviously in their own time zones, it, it, it happened throughout, almost like throughout the day for us when we're in, because we were in New York because that's where the sort of pedestal, the biggest one was going to be. Mm. Um, so that's we were we were i'm i'm like the sort of film guy that helps him a lot with his other projects here okay. and then when this one came he was just like right we we're doing this thing in new york and i was like what <laughs> so yeah the homeless charity in edinburgh that i pretty much offered to help like voluntarily a couple of years ago is now taking me to new york i was like what is yeah. going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> Give him the Larry David, well, you know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. whenever, whenever it's fine. And then all of a sudden you're flying across. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's bizarre how it worked out. But the guy who runs it, he's a, he's a bit of a, like, you can tell, he's a bit of a genius when it comes to strategy. He's very good at, like, pulling things off. Because, um, like, within a year of opening that sandwich shop, he managed to get George Clooney to visit it. And then a year later, he got Leonardo Di- DiCaprio to visit it. Hmm. It's like this a sandwich shop in in Edinburgh. Like, yeah, know, it's yeah, like, yeah. What what is going on? But he's he's very good at like making things happen like that. He, he, he has big ideas and he pulls them off somehow. Yeah, it's interesting how some people can just do that. I um I, I know what you're saying. There's this place in Queens Queens called Gabby's Pizza, and oh, yeah. Gabby's Pizza is probably the size of my apartment living room and. Right. and and you go in there and on the wall is signed autograph pictures of every celebrity that ever came out of Queens. I mean, Lilkin is on there, Biggie's on there. I mean, everyone, people you didn't even wow. think came from Queens. And to be quite honest, I don't like Gabby's pizza. <laughs> I think it's really, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's that good. Well, the, just the pizza. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they're, they're really popular for, for just being a hotspot. And even when my family from Florida comes up. To, as soon as you got that fame, I guess you, it's like, um, the other one that, um, 
I, I went to it when I was there. Joe's. Is it Joe's Pizza? Joe's and it's Pizza. Like, and it's um, the one that Jimmy Fallon talks about. And they've got the same sort of thing. Photos of celebrities all over their wall. Um, oh, is that in Manhattan? But yeah, they've got one. They've got one in Manhattan and in Williamsburg. Um, but the Manhattan one's obviously the one that got the fame in the first place. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and there's it's also like, a... it's like it's like just off Times Square, so it's it obviously in like a really good spot. Yeah, that's that's the other thing too. It's like I don't know if you saw how long did you stay in Manhattan? Uh, so I visited twice last year, um, and I was there a week the second time, and like five days the first time. Got you. Did you eat food from the halal guys? They're like the most world famous street food vendors and they're right outside of uh i think it's nbc studios and really? it's no, yeah and they're just street card vendors and but, right, but right. you go there at like 2 a.m when yeah. everyone's getting out the club or 4 a.m and the line i kid you not is around the corner i was there really? in january yeah and um it was i want to say new year's eve the day before new year's eve and my cousin and i were picking up his wife from work and it was late. It had to be like 10 p.m. and 18 degrees out. I mean, freezing cold. And the line's like bent around the block. So right. it's kind of one of those things where it's just like they get popular and that's it. You know, I think you can even yeah. buy their, their spices on like Amazon and stuff. And they're streetcar really? vendors. Wow. Yeah, they don't, have a, they don't even have a brick and mortar store. So I guess they're not having to pay like as much rent as the guys who do. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. It works out in their favor. Yeah, I have a I have a distant family member that I don't even know how I'm related to them. They have a, a one of those carts for halal food in New York, and the rent they pay a month is like ten, twelve thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I've heard horror stories. Yeah. New York, New York actually won me over when I was there last year, and I've got a little pipe dream at the moment to move there in the near future for like a year or so whatever a visa lets me stay there for um right. and and see if i can do a bit of film work uh, across the ocean yeah um what would you do yeah, if you came over i think um so i've just i've i've kind of broken into directing commercials at the moment which is ideally what i want to do is just direct um i've had to do a lot of uh, filming as well um promotion and things like that because you can't survive on on directing alone unless you're already established it's kind of a hard thing to crack um because if you're not already established then people aren't just going to hire you over someone who is um it's it, there's a lot of nepotism involved so it's been yeah. it's been a very tricky path getting involved in in directing but um I think I've sort of cracked the the surface of it now and I'm I'm at my sort of first tier of actually just being respected and as a director and being hired as a director which right. is cool um but I think I need to get a little bit further and get a little bit more reputation and have a, a few bigger projects on bigger platforms before um at which point I'm hoping to get represented and then at that point I think that's when I'm New York safe because I want to sort of transfer what I do here and just do it in New York just kind of come across and be like you know oh it's a, the British kid who directs co these these commercials you'll recognize them um and then and then hopefully by that point I've got a tv show and then I can just go look this is what I do do you like it yes or no right um it's it, it's in New York's very interesting because when I lived in New York I Contrary, you think opposite, but I didn't think that 
my dreams would come true. Like if I wanted sure. to make movies or be an actor or sure. do comedy, I would never think it possible in New York. And then I moved sure. to Arizona. So I live in Arizona now. And now that I have that, like a little space, because I'm doing this podcast from my kitchen. And it's yeah. weird because I would have never had the guts or balls to do it in New York because I feel like it's just like being a small fish in a big pond over there. Yeah. Where in Arizona, yeah. it's like, okay, I got a little breathing room. I could network a little better because it's a small yeah. pond. So it's like, yeah. well, I don't want to say small pond because Phoenix is a, a, a great city, but it's just the vast amount of competition. Makes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me feel a little more comfortable to actually, you know, put my foot in the water before. Yeah. So yeah. I'm willing to do more here than I did in New York because in New York, everyone's doing everything. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many friends I knew in college that wanted to be rappers. Before. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And they're all I doing- a, lot of, a lot of people flock to it as well because it, it, it churns people out of the system. Sometimes it benefits them and they'll pay attention to those stories and be like, ah, oh, New York is, can turn you into this. Yeah. Um, but obviously it can do the opposite. Um, Cause right. that was the reason I was there was for the people who are not fortunate at all. Um, so, but what it, that is interesting because I feel like Edinburgh is the capital city of Scotland, but Scotland is a small country. Like it's a big, big, big sort of size for what it is, but tiny population. Um, right. our population here is, uh, 7 million um, okay. for the whole country. So, when you're in the States, like <laughs> you've got a population of 200 million people like that is, that, that will seem minuscule, but yeah. because of that, uh, living in Edinburgh, being in the capital of this country, it, I feel like I live in the small pond now. Um, mm. and it feels very small pond. It's obviously I've got cool opportunities from it because it's easier to get your name around here because there's less people and you know, things like the New York yeah. job, stuff like that. I've, I feel like I've got my finger on the pulse when it comes to Edinburgh and Scotland and things. Right. Um, There's less so, noise around where you can actually communicate with people who... Yeah. Who and I think, I think what you're doing now is, is, is good as well because it's kind of what I've done here is just kind of procured myself and my, what, like, learned what I want to do and how to do it and met all the right people with the right talents to sort of put really cool stuff together with very low risk because we're not in a place that's going to eat us alive if we don't, you know, feed the machine as it were. Exactly. But I feel like you've, you've kind of done the opposite swap from, uh, from me there because you've obviously come from the crazy machine and gone to the sort of quieter place for me. Yeah. I'm in the quieter place already. And I feel like it's given me the time to, and that's why I'm saying I'm not going until I've got to a certain stage as well. Yeah. Um, I want to go to the machine, but I want to be ready. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's great. That's a, that's a very good plan because if I, I don't know what I'm doing a hundred percent when it comes to a podcast, I'm hoping that opportunities will come out of it and can grow. But then if it gets to the point where I see an opportunity to go back to New York and, and have something developed there, then it would. But um, I think for me was a mental health thing coming out of New York. It was just, there's so much going on. You don't yeah. have time to think. In your, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, life is happening so fast. You got to get up. Yeah. Commute is an hour, an hour and a half. Um, yeah. You go to work. You're rushing to do work in New York. People expect results. I mean, yeah. you're working nonstop. So, you get home at night. Your whole day is done. You're exhausted. It's like, what can I 
actually do hobby wise. And I think that's the struggle. It's like out here, um, you know, I could go to work earn a living and then come home and still have the time and energy to, to focus in, on some kind of hobby. Um, but going back to what you were saying, so how long did it take? So is directing your main source of income right now? Um, yeah, it's kind of like, it's only just become uh, the, the balance, the scale of balance has only just gone in the favor of directing before that. It's always been the sort of promotional video stuff where it depends on the budget. If the budget is high, I'll direct. Um, but because I'm in charge of that production company, I kind of call the shots. So I'm, I'm sort of producing directing. Um, if the budget isn't high, I can't afford all the other guys. So it'll just be like, I'll go shoot it myself, maybe take one or two people. Um, so it's, it's, you know, hand in hand. Um, like the Bross stuff, for example, I've, I've known her since um, I did a lot of work in the comedy circuit. I've known her since then. So I literally asked her, if she wants a video in, in exchange for catering for one of my shoots, like that, that was the only reason I got involved there in the first place was I was mm. paying in trade. I was like, I've, I've got a shoot that's completely off my own back. And I, you know, I, I want to feed the crew nice and you know, it's already costing a lot of money for me to pull this off. Yeah. Um, let's see if I can get someone who like owns a catering place. And then I, I made a little video. It took like a couple of hours to make. And then it did really well on our, on our Facebook. And she was like, right, let's set up a deal here and, and do this. I was, like, I was like, unfortunately, you can't pay me in bagels forever. But <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> yeah. but that's the shoots I do with her are very much, um, I just go myself. It's like a one-man show. It's not high budget, but what we make is fun. And like the results out of it is pr are pretty cool as well. And I'm, I'm like, that's one of those projects where, I'm taking it on the chin a little bit because I'm enjoying what it's, what's being created. Right. Um, but then I'll get other projects that aren't fun at all. Maybe I'm directing it. They're not exactly exciting because they're really corporate. Um, yeah. But it but pays the bills, right? I mean, yeah. That's, that's, are... that's when the money is usually better and that's when I can hire the crew in and all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's, there's a balance to it. Um, yeah. Um, and as I say, it's only recently that the directing has started to take a, uh, a stand in my sort of income levels of, of being higher up than just the promotion stuff, the corporate stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's good. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a real hustle to sort of get to this stage. Gotcha. How, how was the transition like though, between I guess school and then now where you are, because did the, did the YouTube video do anything for the career? Like how did that impact? The, the TED Talk one. Yeah, the TED Talk. It didn't really. Um, it it got me like attention from people online and like like uh, yourself, for example. People reaching out to me usually on LinkedIn more than anything else, just to like say thanks or you know nice one. Um, mm. No, no one sort of called me up and said I want to give you a job because that was awesome. Um, right. So career wise, it didn't do anything that way around but um just because uh i went to like a master class now like right you need to show your accolades off at face value um i put it on like my business card and my email footers and things like that i've seen on tedx because as soon as you drop that in it's kind of almost like wearing a little gold medal it's like they go yeah. oh okay maybe i should take you a bit more seriously it's almost like a, a seal of approval yeah um 
which is really handy in a in an industry where nepotism is everything um, because you constantly every time you start a conversation with someone you've got to prove yourself to them um, and if you've got something like that online and it's already got like that kind of view count and stuff it's it's like an easy it's almost like a visual CV it's like right here's my thoughts on the internet yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I won't tell them to watch it but if i include it in the business card people often get curious and go oh by the way i gave it a watch you know i really liked what you said well you know it's, it's like a nice kind of um i don't know it just kind of bulletproofs the the pitch sometimes when i'm talking to people yeah if it gives I'm, you credibility because yeah yes, you have to credibility some... is a good way to describe it yeah yeah um how did that set up how did the how did you organize or do that TED talk or how was that process like because i see so many TED talks and then i, I often wonder because they it, the tedx ones are independently organized Who yes decides? yeah yeah so that one was organized by the university here at watt which is edinburgh based um, okay and someone who was on the committee um this is going to sound really awful because it's uh it's nepotism all over again was a friend of mine um Okay. And I was having a coffee with her one day and I was basically moaning about how university wasn't as useful as college, what I was saying to you earlier. Yeah. Uh, Cause I just finished university and I was just talking about how it's frustrating how, how university feels like a bit of a waste of time. I was like, it was great for making contacts. I was like, but the education wasn't very good. Um, and I was just venting my frustrations. And she's like, oh, and I don't know what it is. I said something. She's like, that's a really interesting point. Um, she's like, you should do a TED Talk. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, do you want to do one? And I was like, well, I guess so, one day. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm organizing TED Talk. We need, we need another speaker. Do you want to do a TED Talk? And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah. I guess I have to think about it because I need to know if I can actually perform one because um, I haven't done public speaking before. Uh, so, right. um, yeah. And uh, basically, I came to them with my first draft of the speech, which was me moaning about university. Um, and then they went, yeah, so that's not going to work because we're hosting <laughs> this in a university. And right. I was like, ah, that's a good point. I was yeah. Like, so, so I went and watched a load of TED Talks. I just watched loads. And I was like, I need to make it something that's drawn from my own experience and positive. And right. it's aimed at university students. So it needs to help the people in their, their situation as well. So, Well, the good thing about um, YouTube and TED Talks is that it's available to everyone on the internet. And anyone yeah. who's seeking out that kind of information um, yeah. will find it. And I think maybe it just hasn't paid off yet or in a way that you could see because i think sure. if people the right people keep reaching out to you um something will i mean i feel like it already has materialized right because you're heading in that direction and then like yeah i think know. The, it was what the word you used earlier is the right word credibility is it gives me credibility so even if you know it doesn't have to be someone watches the video and then contacts me. It's, it's fine doing it the other way around. You know, if I meet like someone who's really important to my career and I have that written on my, my business card and that's what convinces them that they want to use me, then great. Like yeah. you, you need as much help as you can get in this industry. So um, it certainly helps for that. And to, and to be honest, it felt good um, delivering something that, that inspires people because um, 
I have, I do like, I invest myself a lot in, in sort of my friends and what their situations are. So I have had friends in the, in the sort of dumps, down and dumps, like just giving up on life. And, and I've had friends who are like, ah, my career's going nowhere or I'm never going to get into the job I want to get into. So I've had to give like these micro motivational speeches to friends of mine and I was doing it a lot at the time I did the TED talk. So it felt quite nice to do like a more a formal version of what I was already doing with, my, with friends of mine. Because yeah. like when university ends here, um, a lot of people don't prepare themselves for it because they get so used to university. They don't really expect it to end and they don't prepare themselves for it. So when mm. it does end, there's this sort of blue period that I call it that, people have at the end of it where they think their life is ruined because they've just spent four years getting a degree and they can't get a job. Um, right. And a lot of the time it's just a patience thing. Like a lot of the friends that I, I, I spoke to, I was like, just, just do this. I was giving them like ideas what they could do in the meantime, to sort of solidify their career prospects. Um, like a friend, uh, friend of mine, you won't appreciate me talk about him, but um, he, he was, feeling the fear bad like he didn't think he was going to get anywhere mm. um and i just told him like um he wanted to get into the games industry and i was like we we actually we live in the city where rockstar north is um is, are they really in edinburgh yeah they're in edinburgh they're they're all over the world but their their main hq started in dundee which is just north of here now they're no now it's in edinburgh yeah so you know, the guys who made Grand Theft Auto are here. <laughs> it's one of the biggest <laughs> games companies in the world. Right. And I was like, you've got to just, you know, just go for it. Just stick to your guns and, and believe in yourself and, and apply. I was like, you've done the course now. All you can, all you can do is, is try, you know? Um, yeah. And he did apply, he did apply to them. Um, and he got a job with them in QA and testing. Oh, shit. Now that's that's what he does full time, and he's been promoted since then. And you know he's he's been in there for like four years or something now. Um, and What's he's his absolutely, name? Absolutely smitten. I don't want to say his name. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not supposed I'm not supposed to tell this kind of story. He's a sensitive chap, but uh, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only yeah. I asked because only I'm like now I want to talk to that guy and pick his brain and figure out what yeah. it's like working on. Grand Theft Auto or one of those games, you know. Well, I'll tell you what they what they'll do is just go. I can't talk about it, and that's yeah. it. Like gotcha. FBI level security with those guys. Like even even if they're drunk, they won't they won't spill a single bean. <laughs> really? Are, yeah, they are they are tight lipped guys. I've I've got a couple of friends who work there now, and I I don't know anything. Uh, zilch. <laughs> that's good. I they're barely I barely know what they do on the day to day. Like yeah, they're good friends to have because at least you know you can trust them. You know with. I mean, oh yeah. So I was going to say the, uh, that's going back to the Ted talk is that I really, I've watched quite a few Ted talks, but that one was really not only inspiring, articulate, but funny. I think it was, it was funny. I almost felt like it landed on, unless the audio wasn't right. I didn't feel like the crowd gave the reaction. I felt inside. This this is something I've had to restrain myself from commenting on the YouTube channel like a hundred times because I go and look at it and it's always the same comments and it's about the audio uh, or no not it's not about the audio it's about the audience. Um, on the day there was laughter there was literally like there was a point in the speech um, 
I can't remember what it was I said. If I watch it again, I'll remember which bit it was, where a girl literally shouted, yes, from the audience. And like, right. I do a little bit of a smirk um, when I'm doing the speech. But the thing is, is when you're recording uh, a yeah. live event, and I've yeah. done this loads of times, and you'll probably know yourself now you're getting uh, the hang of things with microphones, is you need a microphone for the audience as well as a uh, one for the speaker. Because this microphone can only hear this far. I can't uh, hear all the guys out there. Yeah. Um, and the guys had one, but they didn't use the track, and I don't know why. Um, and I didn't, I didn't hear it in any of the other speeches that were done that day either. Yeah. Um, and the girl who organized it, she organized another one a year later, and she came to me asking if I knew anyone who could film the live event this time because they, they had a lot of problems with the team they used. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, there was basic technical issues as well. I was watching it over, and as, as someone who does this for a living, <laughs> yeah, I was like... Yeah, yeah. I was so frustrated because they, and the one shot they have of the audience is just like, like three people doing that the whole time. And honestly, <laughs> like I, I've a, I asked her afterwards, I was like, did you get any of that on your phone? She's like, no, no, we, we were relying on the video team. And I was like, damn it. I was like, I just, it's so frustrating because I know the people in the room know there, there was, there was laughter and there was feedback. And, right. Yeah. And I did notice yeah. that was um, one of the, a lot or the top comment on the, the YouTube where people complain about the, the audience. Yeah, yeah, and and I was like, the audience were great. Like the 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 one little like, I don't know why the audience shot is one row of people because there's there's a bigger audience. Yeah, than it was that. like an Asian girl. Uh, yeah, yeah, a so white three, guy, three guys, and then a right? professor. Yeah, like a, a yeah. female professor in deep thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they just look they look bored the entire time. And um, but yeah, there, there was there was way more feedback than that. Someone literally shouted at me. And uh, the, the girl who shouted at me came and talked to me afterwards. And I had right. a few people talk to me afterwards. And they're like, oh, yeah, that was really funny. Um, so on the day, I was, I was loving it. And it was only like way later. It was already on the YouTube by the time I saw the actual cut. And I was yeah. like, where's, where's the laughter? I was like, where's it gone? And right. then I, I started to figure it out. I backtracked. And I was like, oh, no, they haven't used the audio mic. Uh, the audience mic and I was like why have they not done that and I noticed in the, the comments on YouTube one person suggests that as well someone says oh they probably just didn't use their audience mic and I was just like I, I did a little like on it I was like because <laughs> like, well, you can't you, <laughs> technically yeah. educated yeah yeah you can't you can't give in to the the comments and like this is a discipline I've learned from doing the comedy sketches is you can't you can't argue back on the comment section. You just have to leave it. You just have to bite your lip and, and let it go. Because oh, yeah, uh, yeah. if you do, it just comes across as really petty. And, it, you know, it never works out for the better if you start arguing back with things. Because yeah. who's, who's going to believe you anyway? So you've just got to kind of sit there and go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, he, is uh, comedy your end goal? Like, what would be the... Because you're really good at bringing forth the sense of humor in situations. Like the yeah, last I'm, one you did, um, what was it called? Oh my God, I feel so bad for forgetting these things. The one where getting a haircut in during... Oh, is that the one I just showed you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I call it, the script was called Mob Cut, but um, okay. because I was releasing that one myself, the BBC didn't want it because um, they said they've, they've stopped doing lockdown jokes. They, they want to like distract people now rather than keep talking about it. So they, yeah. they, I just missed the cutoff for that. So I had to release it myself. But um, yeah, so the script was called Mob Cut, but the title of the video is like more clickbaity. It's uh, how to cut your own hair because I thought oh, it was I a, gotcha. uh, I thought it was a double pun because I'm playing both characters and I cut right, my own right, hair te right. technically. Ah, <laughs> uh, so um, 
But yeah, uh, like when you, you gonna... put the haircut in uh, in toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's pure lockdown humor, but um, obviously it was a bit late on the the BBC there. Uh, um, yeah, comedy. Um, I guess when I started the whole film thing, um, I. I kind of like envisioned the sort of feature films I would make if I was a famous director and that's where I started and my genre was science fiction okay. um, and I came up with a lot of those. I liked epics like fantasy, science fiction, things like that. I've got loads of like story ideas, not scripts, story ideas that I've, I've kind of assembled over the years of like if I became a famous director or I, I was powerful enough to push a script to this level this is what i'd love to put on the cinema um so i've got like uh, quite a few features for for if that if that ever happens um but what i realized is on the smaller scale when i was i, I had to go out and make films that serious stuff didn't communicate too well and i've always been a bit of a light humored guy um i'm always making jokes of the situation and then i just kind of naturally fell into the comedy um, area. I kind of, I, I found it easier to do than serious stuff, especially on a budget. Um, I think if you've got a really low budget and you want to do something really serious, it's hard to not be cringeworthy because you can't pull off the, what you need to, without doing what people in Scotland do, which is making something miserable. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's hard to do, which is just, you know, some guy doesn't know what's going on and he's really sad in a bunch of scenic locations. That's like almost every film that's made in the Scottish film circuit. Um, uh, I, I, I found it way more fun just to make people laugh instead. Um, yeah. I've, my, my family's quite, uh, we've got a lot of humor in our family. We, we, yeah. we, we, we sort of, you know, we all think we're comedians when we're talking to each other and stuff. So I think I've always had a bit of that in me. Um, and then when I started taking it more seriously and getting involved in the comedy circuit and things, I met comedians and that, and I started to learn the, the real sort of fine art to jokes and joke writing and and comedic timing and things like that and just over the years through doing sketches I've learned more and more by just doing it yeah because um, I don't know if there's a formal education for making people laugh <laughs> I think it's just something you learn yeah I don't, do they even offer courses in like drama school and stuff for that I, I don't I mean every I great comedian I've ever thought of I could think of they just kind of jumped in and, and did the circuit. I know Dave Chappelle yeah. started when he was like 15 or a kid or something. It's, yeah, it seems to be a very natural um, career choice. Like it's something you kind of have to be, you have to either be, you don't need to be good at it from the start. You just need to understand how to develop making mm. people laugh. I think that's the important thing because some people never change their style or anything like that and their jokes never land and then they don't go anywhere. Um, yeah. I think you need to know when you're funny and when you're not and then you need to either improve on it or if if you're not funny, <laughs> you're just not capable of being funny, maybe try something else. But yeah. um, I think that, yeah, there's, there is there is definitely a, a sort of design to comedy like that's you learn naturally from reactions because it's not even limited to like the comedy i i write here um is designed for a scottish audience and if it works for an audience outside of scotland that's great uh sometimes i i like with the mob cut one i wrote that for a wider audience because i'm english um scottish humor has got its own sort of there's like 
phrases and slang and things like that that Scots say, and they absolutely love it when they hear it in a video. Um, weirdly enough, America seems to like Scots humor a lot as well, um, if they can understand it, <laughs> if they yeah, can understand yeah. what they're saying. I have that um, problem with, um, I watched Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and then Snatch. Yeah. I think that was my yeah. first kind of introduction into like, not Scottish, but like that yeah, Europe, that's European. That's English, yeah, that's Cockney. Yeah, Cockney, yeah. yeah. And um, after rewatching it and, and figuring out what the words meant after, like, yeah, you need subtitles it, or something, don't you? <laughs> yeah, but the jokes like hit harder when you yeah. kind of realize what they're talking about. How, yeah, how's the I mean, only because I'm not educated that well, but how is the humor between Scotland and British different? In the um, so. <laughs> Uh, between the, the styles of humor. Yeah, or like the dialect or the way of speaking, I guess. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird because it's like English people don't have a dialect to, to, to hide what they're saying. Well, they, actually, someone do. Someone do. Yeah. UK is messed up. It's like every... 10 miles there's a new accent like from south to north in fact when i lived in university my very first year there we had a guy from so my my accent is quite southern um people from england now think i've got a scottish twang on some of the things i say uh but people in scotland think i'm the most english person they've ever met so it's a it's a weird weird marry up uh so people are not used to the accent um people who aren't used to scottish down south will hear the things that i say are a bit scottish and then people up here know full well that I'm definitely English. Um, but my, my accent generally comes from the South of England. Um, it's, okay. it's very like, my accent's probably the, the least tapered. <laughs> like it's, there's, there's not a lot, like it's quite, the, the, the diction's quite good. It's well pronounced. Like people in that sort of area have all got the same, similar sort of thing. The further North you go though, the crazier the accents get. So you've got like, London is uh, Snatch and Lockstock. They're like London accents. Okay. Uh, but uh, like, you'll find people in London who speak like I do. You'll find people that speak like that. There used to be, um, well, there still is, there's a thing called Cockney, which is the accent. So it's like, all right, governor. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's from Cockney. Um, and Cockney used to be, I think it used to be a, a lot worse than it is now. And it used to have a lot of like, they used to have a lot of like words they would say, like rhyming slang, like apples and pears meant stairs and stuff like that. It's weird. Yeah. Um, now, is that, then, pre, is that predetermined or you got to like figure it on your, on your own? Um, it's the, predetermined. The, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, I don't know the history of Cockney too well. But oh, yeah, the further north you go, you get, a, you get a, this huge range of accents. And it, you, sometimes like when I moved to Glasgow from, from England, Glasgow has got a very, a very thick Scottish accent and they speak very fast. So they'll be like, and uh, <laughs> yeah. the first time I went there, I had a science teacher. Uh, I was at school there. I had a science teacher and I just did not understand them for the entire year. I missed a year of learning science because I didn't understand the teacher and I just couldn't get it. He spoke so fast and he had such a thick accent. Now I think if I listen to the same guy, I probably get every word because I'm just so used to it. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's very area dependent and it depends on how, 
worldly the person is because there's I, I know Scottish people who when they're speaking to me will speak very clearly and well um, and I have good diction and then when they're speaking to a dad on their phone this different guy comes out because they just go straight back to like pure accent driven drivel basically yeah um, and you probably know people like that as well who who have like a voice that they have for speaking to other people and then a voice for back home because they have a really thick accent that no one can understand yeah uh, I, so, I you know yeah. i'm guilty of it myself sometimes it depends on who i'm talking to oh really yeah where you kind of do you, do you have something for are you, your family from trinidad do you have like a different accent there or i do and it's weird because if i go home back to trinidad the accent my home accent switches on like a light switch and right. Okay. If I try to you're, talk, you're at home. Yeah. Right. And if I try to talk to someone in America with the accent, my brain won't do it. Like my brain, even if I try, it co- it'll come out broken. But it's funny because in Trinidad there was a secondary school, it was a convent high school, and girls would go right. in there, and somehow that school organizes and has its own accent. So girls go in there and come back out with convent girls' accent. And we would all make that's fun weird. of it. Yeah. So, that is so really weird. yeah. And it's not an accent that's based on a certain city or a certain demographic. It's just like in that school, you go to that school and you come out speaking a certain way. It's, it's the weirdest thing ever, but it's hilarious when you hear them talk because yeah. you know they came from that school. That is strange. That is really yeah. strange. I think it's a, that sort of hive mentality that human beings have. It depends on if they want to be brushed off on or not. Like, I think for me, when I moved to Scotland, I didn't want to pick up the accent. I really liked my my accent. I thought it was more useful <laughs> globally yeah. than than uh, than picking up a, a... I also can't do the Scottish accent, weirdly. So I found out that was part of it as well. Like, I, you see, if I try and impersonate someone who's Scottish, I'm really bad at it. Even though I've lived here like 11 years or something. I just, just can't yeah. pick it up. Wait, so um, did you move from... you? Move, what sparked the move from England to Scotland? From London um, to... I never lived in London, but... Um, Sorry. It was my, my dad's job. Because um, I moved to Scotland when I was still at school. I was still a kid at the time. Um, oh, so, yeah, we moved, we, moved, we moved house quite a lot as, as kids. Because uh, you do when you're in the military. I got you. So you live with your dad. Is your dad still in Scotland? Uh, no, he's moved back to England now. Um, he's commercial flying now. Uh, so mm. that's like the retirement for military pilots, it seems. They go into commercial flying. Commercial flying, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm really bad with geography and that side. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. Like, you, your, your, uh, your side of the world is, is very big and <laughs> there's a lot to keep up with over there. Yeah. And also, I feel like it's really fragmented over there in the sense of yeah. the geography and the landscape. Yeah, yeah. I think because we live in such small places, though, we learn a bit. Uh, we learn quite a lot about the rest of the world. Um, so I, I often find if I'm talking to someone who's from the states, they'll know a lot less about where I'm from, and I'll know quite a lot from about what where they're from because I think we get educated a bit more on. on yeah, that's definitely uh, the education system there. Yeah, we get educated on a lot of the U.S., the Western world more than anything. Some of Europe. Very little in Asia, unless it's history. Um, yeah. And I think that's just the way of the world. Because if you go to Japan, they, do, they think Scotland is inside England and they don't know what the, what the <laughs> is going on yeah. um, when it comes to Scotland. Uh, if you go to Europe, people know exactly 
the, all the political situations between Scotland and England because they want Scotland to join Europe and they, <laughs> it's just there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of politics between the two countries um, so the, and, bre- the uh, whole Brexit thing did you yeah, care about yeah, that? exactly um, yeah it, it could have affected um, Brexit is is weird I don't know it's I didn't I'm against it uh, I think a lot of right-minded people are um, mm. I think the best way to put it, and this is politically fierce, is um, the kind of people who vote for Brexit are the kind of people who vote for Trump. That's the way to. That's, that's what I'm going to. That's the way I'm going to explain it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great um, way of putting it because I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, stepping on any toes, <laughs> so it it paints paints that brush pretty well, and they'll obviously be intelligent people in that category who have actually thought through why they want Brexit to happen. Uh-huh. Um, but the vast majority of those people are, yeah, Trump, Trump voters, but British. <laughs> you guys have the same problem over there where I've noticed that a lot of the surrounding political leaders of other countries close by are starting to emulate him. I mean, I know we're going completely yeah. off topic from film, but do you guys have that problem over there where your prime ministers and stuff are actually starting to adopt that kind of behavior? I think, uh, yeah, I think the, the person in charge at the moment is like, he literally looks like Trump. It's kind of weird. Um, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're in a time that I think the bad guys are winning. Um, mm. I'm literally comparing it to a movie. I think the bad guys are winning right now. It's that scene in the movie where the bad guy gets away with everything. Yeah. But I think the... And we resurgence... think the lead character is dead right now, but he's going to yeah. off later on. I think it's just preparing us for a resurgence later on in the in the decade or something where where something good comes out of it. Um, yeah. But we've just got to bite our tongue and let all the, the stupid stuff happen in the meantime and then hope we can prevail out the... Uh, the arse end of it basically that's <laughs> yeah. all you can do because there's so many yeah there's a lot of crazy shit going on politically in in the western world right now and it's uh it's it's it seems to be one thing after the other and it just keeps happening so it's yeah it's one of those things where it's just it's hard to uh it's hard to like you don't want to ignore it obviously but you, you kind of at some point want to because there's just too much of it going on mm. so if you we're, we're into an hour and 20 minutes now, I think. Um, I know you said you wanted to do an hour, but I have one more question that I would like to, to ask before. Cool. You could keep talking if you want to. But if you had to pick one ultimate project where you could say, yes, this is what I've been waiting for in my whole life, what would it be? Like, what would that look like to you? Uh, can I split the answer into two? So sure. two two things. First thing would be the ultimate project, if I was allowed to do whatever I wanted, would be one of my own. And it would be like a sci-fi film that I've been working on since I was a, literally a kid. Because yeah. um, I had this grand vision of creating the world's first saga, which was films from the same cinematic universe, but they were released as separate titles. Sound familiar? <laughs> Uh, I had this big vision of that when I was a kid and then they started doing it now. So it, it really fits with today's style. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I'd, I'd created like a, a main story of this like sci-fi film. Um, and then I'd created another movie which was unrelated, but based in the same universe. 
and it was this whole other thing. And then I created another one, which was none of them are like written scripts. As I say, they're all stories, which are like, I've got like in lots of different notes. And then I created another one and I was like, this would, this would be amazing. This would be the first time it's ever done where there's all these different movies, but they're part of the same universe, but they're released separately. And then obviously like Marvel happened and things like that. And I was like, yes, sagas are becoming a thing. Um, you know, but, uh, um, I didn't. So, what are your thoughts on the the Alien series? Because they did, um, what was it Contact, and then Prometheus? Did you watch those? Uh, I watched Prometheus. I haven't watched the latest one. Um, um, Alien, Alien for me is not, I've never been that into it because yeah. um, I'm into sci-fi, uh, but I'm not big on horror. Um, and gotcha. it, it's kind of one of those weird blends between the genres. Like it, my favorite aliens movie is aliens because that's the least horror movie out of the lot. It's an action movie really. Gotcha. Um, I'm, I'm big on action. Um, did you see contact at all? I think contact no, I was the that. one with Amy Adams. That one's really good. Cause there's no violence in there. There's no, Oh no, wait, sorry. Is that a, a rival? Is that what you mean? You're right. Arrival. Yes. Yeah. Contact sealed. Um, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that contact and I've seen, I thought you were talking about aliens. Um, I, isn't, seen, isn't Arrival in the same universe as? Is it supposed to be? I think they said that. I think they said okay. something. Like, I don't know. Um, That's, that sounds to me like they made a completely fresh movie and went, right, what's hot right now? Sagas. Okay, let's just say it's part of aliens. Because they did yeah. that with um, Cloverfield. They released that Netflix movie, Cloverfield Paradox. I've never seen anything related to Cloverfield. So, unfortunately, they've now got three three films. Um, two two of them are definitely meant to be in the Cloverfield universe. Okay. There's Cloverfield, which was the first film. Um, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is a direct continuation. Well, it's a, a, it's a separate story, mm-hmm. but. What happened in Cloverfield 1 did happen in that, that movie. Then Cloverfield Paradox, which came out on Netflix. Right. That's the one that's, that's fake. Because <laughs> uh, I looked into it, and the way it worked is that it was just someone just wrote a movie, a sci-fi movie, and they thought, you know what will make this sell is if we make it part of the Cloverfield universe. So after the movie had been written, they, they sort of wedged in bits about Cloverfield. So when someone does that, I think that's kind of that's false pr- pretenses like you know they, the person who wrote that wasn't thinking about Cloverfield when they wrote that movie they were thinking yeah. about this and you just like gone, Super Mario Brothers right Super Mario Brothers 1 yeah was yeah. the original and then Super Mario 2 was a rip off of uh, some other game and then they stuck in they put the Mario label on it really wow. yeah and then the four characters they just replaced the sprites with Mario Luigi Peach and 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 um, told. So it was the same thing. I know what you mean. Um, ano- yeah, another good one was um, Annihilation. Did you see Annihilation? With yes. Natalie Portman. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Yeah. See, that was, that was just e- a nice, easy film that was standalone. But they yeah. could have gone, oh, by the way, this is part of the Terminator universe. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they could have thrown that in if they wanted because it would have made more sales or something. But like... Yeah, you know, you know, it was an original film when it was written. That's right. that's important. Though. I find um, that for me is the uh, that's my counter argument to any fan theory is what did the writers think? Because you'll someone will come up with a fan theory and it'll 
make a lot of sense because they've found all the facts within the movie, like Jar Jar Binks as a Sith, or like there's this one about friends, and it's all in Phoebe's head. Um, oh. and I was like, these. I was like, it's great you found all these ways to prove your point. I was like, but I'm going to tell you that that isn't what was intended because I know who the writers were, and I know for a fact they didn't think that far into it. <laughs> Right, they were a bit like in Friends. They were they were busy writing jokes. That's what they were trying to write jokes on a deadline. They weren't thinking, oh, imagine this is all like this crazy like pseudo world inside Phoebe's head. No, they were going, what's funny? uh, A song about a cat that smells. That's what they were thinking. (laughs) Right. They weren't weren't that far ahead. (laughs) Yeah, there's a jug in the background that showed up in uh, in Jerry Seinfeld. So Seinfeld and and are in the same universe kind of deal because oh, really? the well, kettle, yeah, well, there you go. because the kettle there you go. in the back yeah. is the, the same the same prop that they use in the other TV show. It's like I know what you mean. People are stretching yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's I won't get too far into it, but it's, it's the same that that can go for like it's the same mentality that these conspiracy theories come out of as well. Where it's like yeah, you can you can prove anything really if you find the right facts and put them all together. It's like but. Right. Was the writer thinking that? No. Right. <laughs> I don't think they were. From a writer's perspective, I, I think they were thinking, right, his, they had way too much to think about already to create this weird pseudo side plot. Jar Jar Binks is a Sith, for example. So I don't, I don't think he was going that far into it, to be honest. Is that, is that a real one that was happening? Jar-Jar yeah, that's, that's a real one. I think that's one of those ones that started a bit jokey. I don't think that person actually believes it. They've just kind of shown they can prove it. But there are, there are fan theories like that that are, they are so serious and so convinced that's what they intended. Yeah. And I think the first time I ever experienced that was uh, someone watched one of my short films in a festival and they came to me and uh, I had this bit at the end. This is like one of my first short films. And that okay. there's like, invo- this guy's going to get run over by a car. The car freezes in time. And then the guy looks around, his life flashes before his eyes. And what he does is he focuses on all the bad stuff. And then he notices all the good stuff. And then he just, and then he's like given this like choice to either get run over or stand out of the way of the car. It kind of gives him that choice. And he stands out of the way of the car because he realizes there's a reason to live. Um mm. And then the end of the movie is just one of the one of the flashbacks he had earlier of him taking a picture. And I found an effect that day, which is like this this flash transition. So the light from the the camera does that, and then it goes over the screen, and then goes to credits. And I, in my head, I found that transition. I went, "That's cool." Right. That looks cool. That was that was as far as that thought went. <laughs> yeah, a and great I had, way to I, cut from one scene. Yeah, to the I just thought scene. it was a cool transition, right? And then a woman came and deconstructed it to me. What it meant? She was like, "Oh, I cut, you know, you, the fact that you put the flash at the end because you know his life could have been over in a flash of his eyes, and it's like it was so metaphorical and it's so symbolic of the rest of the movie." And then when right. I heard that, that really that gave me flashbacks to all the times that I was writing essays in English classes where we're trying to analyze what the writer meant thinking, mm-hmm. did they though? <laughs> or did they just think that sounds good? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, or like a filmmaker. It's like, Oh, you can see why he's done that in the background or he was on his tea break whilst the production designer thought that looked cool over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not uh, unintended, but happy accident. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah. And you get them all the time. You get happy accidents and things. Um, 
where you go, oh, you know what? That, that actually, you know, that could be symbolic. We didn't yeah. mean it, but. <laughs> well, isn't that part of like the great storytelling thing is to actually leave those questions in? Yeah. The what, movies yeah. that I like kind of leave things open-ended, but never answer them. Christopher Nolan does that all the time. He loves it. <sighs> I love Christopher Nolan. Yeah, um, he, t- he, he, he intent- he's, he's one of those guys who's like, he is so pseudo genius that yeah. his fan theories, I'm like, maybe he did because he is that intricate. Right. Um, because he, per- he, like, he said in an interview once that he purposefully leaves, left enough evidence in Inception for and against the argument that he's still dreaming at the end. Mm. Like he literally left enough moments within the film. Like there's a bit where like, the, the, the alleyway gets smaller. A lot of people refer to that in Mombi- Mombasa. Yeah. And uh, they're like, that only happens in dreams because, you know, the architecture gets warped. So he must be asleep at this point. Mm. So uh, Nolan intentionally, like, that was just a real alleyway. It's just built like that. Um, so knowing the alleyway actually exists, it's like, no, that's just architecture. But because it's Nolan, he's put that there to mess with people and go, this is great because this, arg- this is an argument for and against the fact that I he's dreaming. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I never even thought about that. So yeah, he's yeah. he's a fascinating guy though. He's he's the kind of guy who does think think of the little things. So, mm. are you a Neil Blomkamp fan? Yeah, like, yeah. District Nine and and Alicia yeah, I really, and... I really like. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of Chappie. I really liked Chappie. Really, over yeah. District Nine? Yeah, I actually enjoyed it more because it was like, huh. I guess it's that comedy vibe that I like. Um, gotcha. Because it's funny. It's funny all the way through. I think. Uh, I really enjoy the sort of light-hearted sort of nature of it. Yeah. I could sit here and talk about movies all day long. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, think, I, guess, I guess, yeah, I've, I've run over anyway and I need to get back to my, my biz. Um, yeah. Well, I hope, you know, you keep going in the direction you're going to because it sounds like it's only a matter of time. And um, I hope so. Yeah, thank you for doing this with me i really appreciate it yeah and, no worries um, whatsoever yeah i'd do it again anytime so you're more than welcome if you ever want to come and bullshit on movies or anything in general um i'll be more cool. than happy to talk to you again uh thank you yeah no worries if you have any more questions in the future just you've got my number just fire them my way i will i'm gonna send you i have to send you two things i hope i remember it's uh it's about movies and um that whole net, the circling the story about the saga and whatnot. There's a, a Earth, Wind, and Fire flat Earth theory that this guy did on a, I think it was a Jimmy Fallon sketch where he sent a, one of his co-hosts out to a flat Earth convention, and he um, the guy like linked a bunch of things. He linked starting with Earth, Wind, and Fire album, and went a full circle and referenced a whole bunch of things, and then he brought it back to that's why the Earth is flat. But, um, <laughs> I'll send it Love to it. you after. Love it. Yeah, hey. that's so funny. Thanks a lot, Charlie. Right. Oh yeah, absolute pleasure. I think you should stop the recording before I end the meeting, just so it saves it properly. <laughs>